0: Welcome to Worldly on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham. I'm here with Jen Williams. Hello. As always, Yoke Driesen is still out vacationing in China. No, actually, he's reporting. But I'm also here with a special guest, Jeffrey Lewis of the Arms Control Wonk Podcast. Jeff, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Uh, sure. I'm I'm me. I uh, I study nuclear weapons from the lovely beaches of Carmel, California.
2: It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it.
0: <laughs> well, like, one half is good, Carmel. The other half is nuclear. It's a little depressing. A little bit.
1: Well, no, not when you're sitting on the beach, safely out of range <laughs> of any enough. North Korean nuclear weapons.
0: So, speaking of, we have a real-life expert on said weapons here to talk with us, which is great because we've got a lot of summit that needs expert analyzing, and Jeff is here to do it with us. But first, some some background to start you all off you know that Trump just met with Kim Jong-un, and you know that the conversation broadly focused on denuclearization, on this contested term, but one that basically centers on somehow getting rid of North Korea's nuclear program. The conversation went interestingly. It it ended with a declaration of principles signed by both leaders that Trump was very excited about. It's very comprehensive. It's going to happen. That's uh, Trump at a press conference after the meeting. And obviously, you know, it's going to happen. He's very optimistic. But the declaration itself, the text of it, it's, it's really vague. So, Jeff, why don't you start us off? Walk us through the basics. What did they actually agree on in the declaration? And is it really worth the paper it's printed on?
1: Well, it depends how expensive the paper is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's not really anything there. It's a very short statement. it It barely ran onto a second page where what did Fox call them? the two dictators could sign it. <laughs> but it didn't really have any details. you know the the single paragraph about North Korea's nuclear weapons simply reaffirmed the commitment that Kim Jong Un had made to President moon in their meeting and and it fell quite short of. The myriad documents that that North Korea had signed in the past, and when people have pressed the president and and Secretary of State on how thin the document was, you know they haven't tried to defend it. They they just say, well, there are there are other understandings and there are other things we talked about, and you'll be hearing more about it later. So there's there's I think a wide acceptance that there's not much in the document. And in true Trumpian fashion, uh, he is just promising us that if we tune in next week, it will all be revealed in that episode.
2: And, you know, Jeff, like you said, it was this kind of, you know, short four-point document. Um, You know, even the four points themselves were kind of super vague. You know, they agreed to to build a lasting and stable peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. But then, you know, what's crazy is Trump then came out a couple hours later and did this really, like, long, you know, hour-plus-long marathon press conference. And there's when he really, like, laid out all sorts of stuff that, you know, he would even say at one point, well, this isn't in your agreement that you guys read. But trust me, I did this after, and I, and I asked him to do me a favor. And Could you also, you know, dismantle this? And could you also do that? And it's just wild because this is all just kind of like a, well, we shook hands and we agreed on it. But there's nothing actually on paper.
1: I actually think that's a really important point, that none of this is written down. Because one of the weird things about this whole experience is... I am now old enough that I have lived through this a bunch of times, and I feel like the cranky old guy, because whenever one of these things gets reported, I'm like, oh, well, this is like in 2012 when they screwed it up, or oh, this is like in 2003. This is a recurring problem where U.S. officials meet with North Korean officials, and they lecture them. And the North Korean officials sort of sit there politely, and then they give a non-response. And U.S. officials walk away saying, oh, they understood what I said, and they heard me loud and clear. But we have learned if you don't have it on paper, it's not real. And the perfect example of this is in 2012, the U.S. and North Korea reached something called the Leap Day Deal, uh, which was, by the way, way more specific than this agreement. And in it, the North Koreans agreed not to conduct any missile launches. And immediately, people pointed out that the North Korean version of it and the American version were totally different. Well, subtly different. And the administration was totally obnoxious about it. They were like, no, there are no differences. No, we do have an agreement. And then a couple weeks later, the North Koreans announced that they were going to do a space launch. And then U.S. officials were, like, screaming that they had been betrayed. So, you know, unless you have it written down on paper, you don't have an understanding.
0: So... One of the things that's most important on that misunderstanding or lack of communication bit is the term denuclearization, right? It has always – and obviously, to those of us who've been watching this, meant two different things. To the Americans, it means North Korea gets rid of its nuclear weapons. To the North Koreans, it means – Okay, and the United States pulls all of its troops out of South Korea and ends its military alliance with South Korea, and and that's the end of it, right? And denuclearization is this massive shift in the way the Korean Peninsula operates. And so when they say in the statement that they're working towards denuclearization, it seems like we're exactly in one of those misunderstandings that you were just railing against, even though it's written down.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, the term denuclearization— I usually start in in on the Korean Peninsula, but actually, it's like an old Soviet term, and and it got picked up in the Korean Peninsula uh, at a time when the U.S. had weapons there and North Korea only wanted them. You know, so it was a kind of handy vague phrase that could talk about the U.S. nuclear weapons that were there. It. It could talk about the ability of the United States to threaten North Korea with nuclear weapons that weren't in South Korea, and North Korea's nuclear aspirations. And so when the North Koreans show up and say that they're interested in the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, they're using the phrase in the correct and traditional way to mean the whole basket of issues. You know, it's a, it's a bizarre thing because we used to, in the U.S., use other words like disarmament or dismantlement as a kind of contrast And this administration, I guess because they don't know what they're doing, they have just started using denuclearization to mean dismantlement and disarmament, effectively papering over what is, you know, a pretty significant difference.
2: I think even more fun is that Trump has actually stopped saying denuclearization because I think it's a mouthful and just says denuking. They're going to denuke, denuking. To me, nuking means you put something in the microwave for 10 minutes, but um, also don't put anything in the microwave for 10 minutes. That's that's a really long time. That's crazy. Um, one of the questions that that everyone has, and I think, you know, Jeff, you're in a, obviously a great position to answer this, is would it have been better if the summit didn't happen at all? Was the summit a good thing or a bad thing?
1: Yeah, I think it's a complicated answer because on the one hand, I understand that 2017 was freaking terrifying yes. and that nobody wants to go back to the taunts about Little Rocket Man and all of the nuclear and missile tests so i get why people are willing to take this and to be fair if trump can actually deliver the promises then yeah it's 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 a good thing what i have continually cautioned people about and what i have warned about is this danger that the trump people will go through the same experience that the obama people did which is they show up They talk at the North Koreans. They don't hear what the North Koreans are saying. And so when the deal falls apart, they end up blaming the North Koreans. And, you know, with the Obama administration, it was just time wasted. You know, the Obama administration decided that they couldn't deal with these people and that they weren't trustworthy. And so they basically just ignored the North Koreans while they built up these these military capabilities. So that was bad like, what happens if Trump feels like he's been betrayed? You know, we, we, we already saw the relationship with Justin Trudeau go from, like, uh, real love in February 2017 during that White House visit um, to this real sense of hostility. So, you know, I think the summit is a good thing, provided that the whole process does not collapse in recriminations, but I'm very worried that that's, that's what will happen.
2: Yeah, that's one hell of a caveat. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Look, in some ways, I think the best possible outcome of it is that Trump, as he indicated in one of his tweets on Wednesday morning, just declares mission accomplished and leaves it alone. Because in that event, his temper doesn't get a chance to get set off, right, if he's not personally investing in the issue all the time. If he just thinks North Korea is not a threat anymore because I'm personally friends with Kim Jong-un, then honestly things are better off.
2: Sure, but— until they do a missile test or a nuclear test. And then shit hits the fan. Well, hopefully
0: that doesn't. I don't know. You're right. There, there are right. holes in this theory. But <laughs> right. but it's honestly, like, do you have a better alternative for how Trump would, how Trump could handle this issue? Trump, personally, not an idealized president.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Um, you know, and I think what's interesting, too, is that, you know, in the press conference, just to kind of go back to that, you know, he laid out all this stuff that, wasn't in this short four-point agreement. And one of those things that he said that he agreed to, he being Donald Trump, was that we were suspending what he referred to as war games.
0: We will be stopping the war games, which will save us a tremendous amount of money unless and until we see that the future negotiation is not going along like it should. But we'll be saving a tremendous amount of money. Plus, I think it's very provocative.
2: I think just first for our listeners, we should probably just go through and talk about, first of all, what is he talking about when he talks about war games? Is that the same thing as regular annual military exercises like Full Eagle and the other brilliantly named hilarious military exercises that we do? Um, Jeff, could you maybe kind of talk us through in layman's terms, like what the fuck they actually do every year with North Korea and the U.S. military, what this means, and what the hell Trump might be talking about there.
1: Yeah, it, it's unclear to me what Trump is, is trying to say. I mean, there are a series of exercises um, that occur all year round. What I would say is that the two big things are every year there is an annual exercise called Key Resolve Full Eagle which is the big dress rehearsal for the invasion of North Korea. And that's what upsets the North Koreans. Um, And then in addition to that, the U.S. has uh, continuously stationed bombers in Guam, and it rotates bombers through. And that's called the Continuous Bomber Presence Mission. And those bombers participate in exercises throughout East Asia often involving the Korean Peninsula. And so I think from a North Korean perspective, the things they care about are the big dress rehearsal for the invasion, um, plus the frequent bomber flights uh, where we practice nuking them. So this leads to kind of the problem with Trump's statement, which is if Trump had said that the United States was looking at scaling back some exercises... And reducing the most provocative aspect of those exercises. I think everybody would have been okay with that. You know, from a North Korean perspective, when the U.S. puts a bunch of forces into South Korea and does an exercise, it looks exactly like preparations for an invasion. And that's, in fact, like the traditional um, cover for an invasion is you say you're doing an exercise, you get your forces in place, and then you hit your opponent. Right. So if he had said, you know, in order to take some of the pressure off Kim Jong-un, we're going to scale back the exercises, that would be fine. But he didn't say that, right? He said he was going to cancel all of them. And, you know, it's just hard when you're trying to interpret the ramblings of a an old man whose relationship
2: to the truth is sort of, you know, uh, casual. Right. So I think when Trump says that this is provocative, it's not that he's not right. They're very provocative It's that it kind of goes against everything we've been trying to say, we meaning Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis and the entire kind of Defense Department. Traditionally, we've said these are defensive. Oh, no, they're defensive in nature. We're just doing defensive military exercises. Well, you know, sure, you're welcome to call it that. But everybody knows that, like, if you needed to go to war with North Korea, these are the practice runs you're essentially doing. And and my favorite part
0: about this, this whole saga— surrounding the military exercises is that nobody told South Korea in advance that Trump was going to do this. To me, it almost seems worse diplomatically and geopolitically that you don't tell your vital ally that you're canceling a really important demonstration of resolve without their input or say so.
1: Yeah, we live in a very interesting time because we have a progressive South Korean president and generally progressive South Koreans don't like the alliance with the U.S. And we have a semi-isolationist president who has frequently expressed his distaste for the U.S. ROK alliance. And so, you know, it's this really strange moment where usually you could be counted on one or both parties to be in favor of the alliance. But at this particular moment, right, we have two leaders who don't care.
2: Yeah. And for our listeners, ROK, when when we sometimes use that as a shorthand, uh, Republic of Korea, that's the official name for South Korea. You'll sometimes hear us say DPRK. That's North Korea. That's the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. But, um, you know, it wasn't just the exercises, too. And Jeff, you're talking about, you know, the the U.S.-South Korean alliance. Trump also mentioned bringing U.S. troops home, right? Not just stopping these military exercises, but saying that eventually he wants to pull U.S. troops out. Now, he did say— this isn't part of the of the deal right now, but he's very clearly telegraphing that this is on the table for negotiation when we're still not totally clear what we got in return.
0: Yeah, and now we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the winners and the losers from the summit, including a somewhat counterintuitive take on whether South Korea benefited from what happened in Singapore. So I I don't know about you, but I often forget to do stuff, important things, right? Scheduling meetings, booking travel, buying presents for people. I'm I'm really bad at that one. I need something to help me. And so someone, some genius, invented something called fin.com. Fin is designed to take care of these administrative tasks. So you can do better stuff, honestly, and be more productive. It, it knows what you want. It remembers who you talk to, who you interact with, and even syncs up with your email and your calendar to make sure it's doing all of the things that uh, you need it to do. It'll make calls. It'll send emails. It can even pay bills. So if you're forgetful like me, you, uh, you really have this made. Use Fin. It's always available on demand and you only pay for what you use. Once you try Finn, you'll probably get hooked. And so as a listener of my show, I've arranged for you to try it for free. Just use my link, finn.com slash world. That's finn.com slash world. And you can try it for free. finn.com slash world. Don't forget it.
2: In case you missed it, Vox has launched a show on Netflix. It's called Explained, and every episode is a 15-minute deep dive into one important topic— This week, that topic is why diets fail, and I think you'll love it. It answers a question that, let's be honest, we've all asked at one point or another. It explores how the dieting and food industries pull in opposite directions and how that affects us. It'll make you think differently about how you eat. It dives into a really surprising history of dieting, breaks down the science of dieting, and it ends up giving the most reasonable scientific dieting advice that I've ever heard. So go find it on Netflix tonight. You can search for Vox or you can go straight to netflix.com explained. That's netflix.com explained.
0: Welcome back. Now we're talking the winners and the losers from the summit. Let's start with Kim Jong-un, who in my opinion is the clearer Winner. And part of the reason is that he got Trump to say things like this. He's got a very good personality. He's funny and he's very, very smart. He's a great negotiator. So, is this as good, Jeff, for Kim Jong Un as it sounds? It seems like it's significant for him that an American leader is not only meeting with him like an equal, but then praising him basically to every outlet that he can.
1: It, it's way better than it sounds. You know, to go back to my like cranky old guy thing. When the U.S. and North Korea agreed to the Agreed Framework in 1994, which was the first effort to sign a deal that would arrange for the elimination of North Korea's nuclear weapons program, the North Koreans were really angry because it was going to be signed by an assistant secretary of state who was way too low-ranking for them. And so the North Koreans held out for a personal letter from President Clinton. And when they delivered that personal letter from Clinton... One of the negotiators recalls that the North Korean who received it, his hands were shaking. And when he looked at the paper, he noticed that it had Clinton's signature, but it didn't say President of the United States. And they briefly considered blowing up the deal (laughs) before deciding, like, no, 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 it was okay. It is a letter from the President of the United States. And when the North Koreans announced the agreement in their newspaper, they ran the text of the agreement, but also the letter on the front page. Because, you know, if you think about this, the North Korean leadership has this terrible challenge of trying to persuade people in North Korea that they're doing a good job, because, like, objectively, they aren't, right? And so, the propaganda story that they tell, and, like, in, a, in an authoritarian police state, propaganda is super important. It's that the Kims are powerful and respected around the world. And so the North Koreans for decades have wanted a photo op with the president of the United States because it is the crown jewel of their story about how powerful the Kims have made North Korea. So, you know, Kim Jong-un has literally achieved a thing that his his grandfather and father died, um, desperately hoping to do. And he did it without giving anything up. It's incredible.
2: We shorthand this a lot when we talk about North Korea. And, you know, I know we've talked about it here on our show before, but, you know, this idea of legitimacy and of status and how, you know, North Korea always wants this legitimacy and Trump just gave it to him. And I'm really glad that you kind of explained that because I think there's a lot of squishiness around that term. And I've always kind of wondered, Okay, so now he has this legitimacy, right? He has that stamp of approval. But what does that mean, like, substantively? When Kim goes back home, what does that buy him? What does that earn him?
1: Right. It's important to understand that authoritarian police states still have politics. There are still groups of people who are arranged around the leader, right? And the, and, and the leader, you know, Kim Jong-un doesn't run the country by just saying, I'm Kim Jong-un, you got to do this. Sure. Right. And, and we've seen those power struggles play out. His uncle. Thought he was establishing a kind of a regency over over the young Kim, and 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 the young Kim solved that by having him dragged out of a meeting, beaten, and executed. And and so Kim needs a story to tell other elites in North Korea that his leadership is a good thing and it's a successful thing. And moreover, he needs a story to tell the people of North Korea um, who can't vote, but. Whose tacit acceptance of his regime is is required? You know, he doesn't want to end up like Ceausescu in in Romania, right. Um, so, you know, I think in america we we denigrate the importance of propaganda um because it seems so ridiculous to us because it's not aimed at us. But for Kim, propaganda performs precisely the same function that Fox News performs for Donald Trump, right? It conveys to his supporters the story that they are supposed to tell uh, about the the job that their leader is doing. Um, you know, it it bucks them up and and gives them a heart. And it persuades people to continue cooperating with this loathsome government, right? Because they see that there is something in it for them, right? They see that by building nuclear weapons and by building missiles, Kim has succeeded in getting the respect of the United States and that he's going to ultimately, I think they're concluding, break the sanctions and, and that you know that they will all be wealthier and better off. And the reason they will be wealthier and better off is because Kim saw through the completion of the nuclear arsenal. So it's it's incredibly important to him. So
0: you know the, if Kim was a big winner from this, is Trump automatically a loser? Like, I, I there's a conceptual question here about what it means to be a winner and a loser from these summits. In my view, the United States is clearly a loser as the deal is deal, quote unquote, the agreement afterwards is heavily tilted towards North Korea's perspective and gives them a lot in exchange for nothing. But- When it comes to the figure of the president himself, personally, he seems really happy with this outcome. It seems like he's considering it a win for him. And is he just deluded, or is it actually sort of propaganda-wise in a similar fashion, useful for the president?
1: Oh, I I think it's a win for Trump. His interests are not the interests of the United States as a whole. And he is particularly well-positioned to put his personal interests in place of those uh, of the country. So for Trump, this trip was a lot like the Saudi Arabia trip. I don't know if you all read Fire and Fury. I know it it has a salacious quality, but I actually thought the book was quite insightful uh, about a number of things. And one of the things that Michael Wolff did was talk about the reason that it was so important for Trump to go to Saudi Arabia. And he called it a get out of Dodge godsend. You know, the idea was that back in Washington, Trump's numbers were flagging, the media cycle was relentless, he was stressed out because of the investigation. The chance to get on a plane and look presidential just changes that media narrative. You know, we're talking about Trump's summit, and it's being hailed as historic. He's getting a much better ride from the media now. He's not doing the self-inflicted damage that he was in 2017, where I think he was terrifying people. So, you know, I think it's a short-term win for him getting him into the midterms. And and it's, you know, the photo op is as valuable for Donald Trump uh, as it is for Kim Jong-un.
0: Well, and the irony of the situation is that if we're talking about Trump as a dealmaker, most of his presidency, at least when it comes to international politics, has been spent tearing up deals even right. other nuclear deals right, right. like had
2: actual verification and inspections right involved.
0: the iran nuclear agreement was i think a good agreement by any stretch of the imagination but when you compare it to what came out of this north korea summit it's it's night and day it's i don't know the brett ratner x-men movies versus the brian singer ones uh i need a better example uh the Zack snyder batman movies versus the christopher nolan ones
2: okay that's a That's much better. Come on, people know that. But, okay, so I have a question, kind of going to the winners and losers issue here. South Korea, right? They essentially helped orchestrate the summit, right? Moon Jae-in of South Korea, you know, he is the son of, you know, North Korean refugees who fled, right? For, you know, a long time since he came into office, he's been pursuing, you know, warmer relations with the North. But, you know, I'm wondering now, after seeing this, are they filled with regret, essentially? And, So there's this amazing moment watching the summit where you saw the South Koreans, they weren't invited to the summit. It was just Trump and Kim. It was the U.S. and North Korea. So there was this moment, there's this photo of the South Korean president and prime minister sitting next to each other, kind of up on this dais, and they're watching the live stream of the summit, just like everyone else was, just like we were in America And they're just kind of sitting there smiling down at this little screen watching it. It was just fascinating because they were so, you know, left out of this. And the photo that we saw was them smiling, but that was during the summit. And I kind of wonder if they're still smiling as much now that the live stream of the meeting has ended and now that they've seen kind of what actually was agreed to and what wasn't agreed to.
1: I, I think they're definitely smiling. This is an enormous win for President Moon. I mean, We don't often talk about the politics of South Korea, but that matters a lot here. South Korea is a really divided country. South Korea was a vicious military dictatorship until the 1980s, and Park Geun-hee, the president who was just impeached, her father was the vicious military dictator. He actually threw President Moon as a college student into prison. So the reality of the situation in South Korea is South Korean conservatives are outraged by this, but South Korean progressives are delighted. So, you know, I I think we, when we go down and score this, I think we score this still as a win for the South Koreans. The progressive South Koreans don't care about North Korea's nuclear weapons. Like, they just don't care. North Korea's nuclear weapons are a political liability that generates hostility with the Americans, which then gets in the way of their efforts to improve relations with North Korea. And so the fact that Trump seems to be cutting this deal without insisting on getting rid of the nuclear weapons is fine by moon. I do worry, though, what happens? Like progressives will not win every election in South Korea forever. You know, a conservative is going to come back to power. Uh, we had two of them in a row. Um, and those people, I think, are not going to look at this deal with uh, such happy smiles.
0: I find that the your your characterization of it interesting given the focus on domestic South Korean politics, but it seems like, you know, at a at a different level, the sort of international one didn't play out that well for South Korea because of mostly because of the cancellation of the exercises without their notification. It seems to it's the first stab or if not the first it's one of several successful North Korean efforts at driving a wedge between the U.S. and South Korean alliance, this is a strategy called decoupling, where you try to break off an alliance by separating out their interests, essentially. And here you've got the United States doing well, but you're introducing friction in the way the alliance communicates and, and, and works with each other. So from that perspective, at least to me, and maybe, Jeff, you disagree, it seems like South Korea didn't, didn't do so well by the end of this.
1: Well, the problem is we keep saying South Korea, right? Like it's one place filled with 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 people who agree. Sure. Um, it, If you're a South Korean conservative, they would agree with all of that, right? A South Korean conservative would say the alliance is incredibly important, uh, and that North Korea's nuclear weapons are a threat, and that the U.S. improving relations with North Korea without getting rid of the weapons is terrible, and the damage done to the alliance is worse, and this is all a catastrophe. Um, But that is not how a South Korean progressive thinks. You know, if you are a South Korean progressive, particularly of Moon's age, you look at South Korea's conservatives as people who would gladly support a return to military rule. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, they reelected the dictator's daughter. And so you don't look at these people positively, and you look at North Korea not as a threat, but as an excuse that the dictators used in order to suppress domestic dissent. And you look at the U.S. alliance as a way of further suppressing democracy movements. You know, one of President Moon's big things early on uh, was he talked about how important it was uh, to get to the bottom of the Gwangju Massacre, which was a violent suppression of democratic protests in, I guess, 1980 in South Korea. It was done by South Korean troops that were nominally under U.S. command. Now, U.S. commanders say, look, there was nothing they could have done to keep those troops in the barracks. But South Korean progressives think the alliance is a bad thing. You know, if you talk to somebody like Chung-in Moon, uh, who is very close to President Moon, I'm going to have dinner with Chung-in on Monday when I'm in Seoul, Chung-in will absolutely tell you in public that he thinks the alliance should be gotten rid of, and he thinks those troops should go home. So, you know, I understand what you're saying, and it's it's right for some South Koreans, But it's not how other South Koreans think. And one of the big questions about Moon uh, as a progressive, is he really the moderate face that he presents uh, to the South Korean public? Or does he privately have these thoughts that are actually far more typical uh, of South Korean progressive voters? And so for him, I think this is a big win because it papers over that whole discussion because it's not his fault that he's destroying the alliance. That's Donald Trump's fault. And he is the one who seems to be making peace with North Korea.
0: That's fascinating. And um now as we're coming South to the South Korean politics podcast, are awesome. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, I want to give everybody a chance to nominate one winner or loser that they think we haven't talked about yet. Um, my pick is Trump's national security advisor, John Bolton, as a clear loser. Bolton has long been a vitriolic opponent of diplomacy. And look, he has, you know, he was an integral force in the Bush administration in pushing for. The end to the Clinton-era agreed framework, which we talked about earlier. He's advocated war with North Korea and said we shouldn't be talking to them at all. And here he is not only being forced to participate in an agreement with North Korea and a meeting with them, but literally shake Kim Jong-un's hand in a photograph that's sure to be in his – well, not in his nightstand, I would say.
2: So I – I think I would probably nominate China as one of the kind of unspoken winners here. Yohi Driesen, who normally co-hosts this podcast, Uh, he's actually in Beijing reporting right now. As we mentioned, he uh, has a piece about how the Chinese foreign ministry right now is crowing that Trump is not only saying that we're going to suspend military exercises, but is openly talking about pulling U.S. troops from the Korean peninsula. So, China has, you know, for a long time said, you know, the use of force in the Korean Peninsula is not a good idea. Yet no shit because they're right on the other border there and any war would spill right the fuck over that border. So I I definitely think China is kind of the unspoken winner here. And I, I know that, you know, their place in all of this is a huge topic. So we can't get into the details there. But
1: so, Jeff, your pick? Well, I really would have gone with Bolton. I mean, that photograph was one of the all-time great moments of trolling where the the North Koreans, you know, they're the ones who put it out. Um, uh, but since you've you've taken that away from me, ha. um, I think I'll go, I think I'll go with South Korean conservatives. For the reasons that we just talked about, um, the win that Moon is getting seems to be accompanied by a fracture in the alliance. Uh, And so I think if you're a South Korean conservative, um, this whole thing just sucks.
0: And that's a perfect note to to end it on. I want to thank not only Jeff for being a wonderful guest, and you should listen to his podcast, Arms Control Wonk. It's fabulous. Uh, But I also want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, our other producer, Jillian Weinberger, our social media manager, Julie Bogan. And we would encourage you to continue to listen to the show on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Art19, anything that you like to listen to audio on, Worldly's there. So so you should listen to it.
2: And you should rate and review and subscribe if you like our podcast, especially if you love our podcast. If you want more people to listen to our podcast, uh, rating and reviewing is a great way to get it up the chart so that more people see us and, more importantly, listen to us.
0: With our shameless plugs over, we now say goodbye to you guys and we will see you, we will talk to you next week.
2: Bye.